Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Better sleep means a better you. That's why Mattress Firm came up with the Rest Assured Promise. Featuring the best mattresses from America's best mattress brands. Like the Temper Breeze Collection, available now. With a $300 instant gift good towards your choice of sleep accessories. Visit with our sleep experts in-store, online, or by phone to find the right bed for you. Only at Mattress Firm, America's number one Tempur-Pedic retailer. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and we are recording this episode on November 18, 2020. The reason for this episode is we have a batch of 2021 Zips projections just released on Fangraphs.com. This comes at a good time to get a better understanding of what the White Sox are looking like looking like roster-wise before making any additions to the roster. There is a lot to like about the 2021 White Sox browsing through the Zips projections, but Zips does highlight glaring roster holes that need to be addressed. Join us now to discuss is our best friend of the show, the Zips master himself, from Fangraphs.com, it's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, Josh. We always have fun, so it was an easy invite. All right. Well, that's good, because I, I want to ask you a very fun question to get this uh, started. And before we get into the uh, 2021 Zips projections, I have to ask for your thoughts about the White Sox hiring Tony Larusa as their new manager. Good idea or bad idea? I don't know. It it. it... I, I think the people who should be most upset, you know, are Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams because it kind of feels like uh, that it's an end around, so to speak, from ownership. Uh, I think, I mean, Larusa had his time in the majors. He's not really, you know, uh, any kind of pioneer anymore. I don't know how he's going to relate to to some of the young players on the team. Uh, you already like you've seen things like comments like. He was one of the people who was bashing Fernando Tatis Jr. 
for daring to hit a home run when the Padres had a lead. Uh, and I'm not sure how that will go with, with, you know, some of the brash, exciting young talent on the team. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of the, of the hiring even without talking about the DUI. So obviously I wasn't a bigger fan after the DUI. So I, I think this was a mistake. I, I would have liked to see the White Sox continue on their path rather than suddenly dial back to 1985. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very fun topic that continues to, that just continues to unravel as a uh, Luru says DUI case has been filed in a new jurisdiction in Maricopa County. Uh, so hopefully we'll get more insight on what the final verdict is going to be for Lou Russo. But let's try to talk about happy things when it comes to the 2021 White Sox. And there are a lot of those things. There are a lot of those things to talk about. I don't think I'm, – I'm not sure about Gio Gonzalez, but I don't think there's a single White Sox player who was born by the time La Russa managed the White Sox. Now, of course, Gonzalez is a free agent, but just to get us really off track again. I'm just trying to think. So no one born before 1986. Yeah, I don't think so. Unless I'm forgetting someone. I believe you are right. After well, letting Edwin Carnacion go. Yeah, Encarnacion yeah, would, would be the exception. Right. Uh, and Jared, I think Jared Dyson, but again, he's a free agent also. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, nobody was born on the White Sox roster when Tony La Russa last managed a team. Well, the White Sox, not the Cardinals. Right. Right. That's what I meant by as far as the team, the White Sox. You're right. See, this is a kind of, of quality hijack that people either like or dread from me. <laughs> oh, well, let me get back on track here. Yeah, when <laughs> when looking at the Zips rejections, other than Tony La Russa managing this team, the first thing that jumps out to me, Dan, is Lucas Giolito's projection on Fangraphs. It's his 50th percentile projection. So if you go to Fangraphs.com right now and you're reading Dan's work along with listening to this episode, keep in mind when you see the 5.1 war projection next to Giolito's name, that is his 50th percentile projection, right, Dan? Yeah, it Zips, Zips was on uh, Giolito pretty quickly after his, after his 2019 breakout. I think it's 2019. All the years yep. don't work in my mind anymore because uh, <laughs> of 2020. Uh, so, you know, Zips was pretty solid on, on him entering the season and and didn't really see any reason to change its opinion about him. Uh, I mean, people forget. I mean, he's not a veteran. He could still grow as a pitcher. Uh, he got a, I think he got more war in a projection than Garrett Cole, which is impressive uh, to the extent that the White Sox probably should be thinking about an extension soon. Mm hmm. Because we're down to three years until he hits free agency. And he's looking like an organizational talent. Yeah, my uh, my pitch as far as uh, extending Giolito was obviously buying out the ARB years and then try to buy out the first two years of free agency, which is typically what the White Sox like to do with all of their extensions. If you break down Luis Roberts and Eloy Jimenez's and... Yoan Makata's and it it goes all the way back to the way that the contracts were structured with Chris Sale and Jose Quintana before they traded those two players away. For Giolito on the topic of contract extension, since it's on my mind, what do you think would be a fair deal? Should we use like Aaron Nola's contract with the Philadelphia Phillies as the the baseline, or is there a different type of contract that we would have to consider? 
if the White Sox want to keep Giolito around for more than the, just the next three seasons? Well, I think you'd have to give him uh, uh, a, a pretty good boost because Nola also had, I believe he had a little less service time. I could be wrong somewhere from memory, but I think Nola actually had a little worse service time so that the Phillies had a little more uh, uh, leverage over him. I don't think that a guaranteed 45, I think, for Nola would, would, would be enough to, to keep him beyond like a year of free agency, even if that. Uh, I'm actually opening up zips as we talk uh, slowly. You know, my, my tendency to filibuster as I open up zips uh, to kind of see what zips think. Yeah, because I'm curious because on, on Sox Machine, when I did my offseason plant project, I was thinking like seven years, 100 plus million to keep Giolito around. OK, well, zip says like eight, eleven and like eight, excuse me, eight, 13 and 20 for the three years before free agency. And like 34 after that. So take 41 for the three years and then say 90 for three more years. That's like six, 101 million. And I think if I'm the White Sox, I would absolutely offer him that six years, 101 million. That would be their first $100 million contract, Dan. Well, would be Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. They haven't really. I mean, they tried with Manny, but I didn't I didn't think of that. Yeah, well, they also they went hard after Zach Wheeler. Evidently, yeah. they gave Wheeler more than what the Phillies were offering. But because of living preferences, he decided to stay uh, in the East Coast. And, you know, technically with the two contracts with Jose Abreu, the White Sox have, you know, committed one hundred eighteen million dollars to Abreu over two separate contracts. But it's one hundred eighteen million over nine seasons. But. To say here is a contract and it's 100 plus million, Zips thinks that should be 60 years, 101 million. Yep, that's what Zips is saying. Zips could be wrong. And obviously there are some issues right now with the cost per win because everything's kind of gone upside down, you know, topsy-turvy with with the COVID and the economic collapse to an extent. Uh, So I don't really know if – because this is only assuming $7 million a win, which is actually less than in recent years, assuming. But, you know, what if it's only 5 If it's $5 million, then that that takes away, you know, whoops, that takes away, you know, another $25 million of that. So $20 million. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's hard to gauge uh, where the market's going. But I'd personally be comfortable with that. Uh, yeah, starting pitchers are not getting cheaper. I yeah. mean, that's a, that's a lesser deal than what Zach Wheeler signed. Yeah, I think of it this way. Uh, if, if you're protecting like 390 in free agency, if, if Giolito was a free agent right now, he would definitely get 390. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, so you should be willing to pay him 390 even three years at least with the risk. But in, in exchange for that risk, you get three years of it under market. So I don't even know if he would take that, but that is something I would definitely offer if I was in anthropomorph- anthropomorphization of the White Sox as a whole. Now, on Fangraphs, you wrote that with this 50th percentile projection at 5.1 war, it puts Giolito in the top 10 best starting pitchers projected going into the 2021 season. Is it time, Dan, to enter Giolito's name into that consideration and consider him a top 10 pitcher heading into 2021? I think so. That I, I will say that. I, I, I think that the time has come. Uh, he should just be... Lucas Geo now he's he doesn't need the Lito appellation anymore he's just Geo yeah I'll, I'll say it he's a top ten pitcher all right so great start the White Sox have a top ten starting pitcher 
Let's move over to Dallas Keuchel as we continue to talk about the 2021 starting rotation. His 50th percentile projection is 2.7 war, which is good considering Keuchel's stuff and age. But then looking at Cease, Kopech, and Dunning, which are the other three internal starting pitching options that can help fill in the rotation. Obviously, Zips is not using a full season's workload for 2021 projections for Dunning and Kopech because of the limited amount of innings both have pitched the last couple of seasons. But Cease, on the other hand, has a 1.8 war at his 50th percentile projection, which really screams to me, Dan, that the White Sox need to find another starting pitcher like they did last year when they signed Keuchel to help solidify the rotation because that's a big drop-off to go from 5 war to 2.7 war and now you're talking about starting pitchers that may struggle to hit 2 war. Obviously, it hurt the White Sox this postseason not really having a dependable third starting pitcher, uh, especially in Game 3 against the Oakland Athletics. Do you think that this is a glaring hole for the White Sox this offseason that they have to address and they have to find another starting pitcher? I do. I mean, Zips isn't like unduly negative about them. Uh, I mean, some people have already commented that they feel that Dylan Cease's projection is actually fairly optimistic. I ran down a little bit of why Zips came to the conclusion it did. Uh, it felt that from his contact data, his velocity data, his movement data, Zips thought that he should have had uh, – he, he was the second – biggest underperformer in strikeouts relative to his stuff in baseball uh, behind only Ryan Yarbrough of the Rays. Uh, so Zip sees some some, some significant upside from Cease. Uh, but even saying that, I, they could use another Gio Gonzalez. They need someone who can eat some innings for them uh, because Dunning and Kopech, you know, they have very high upsides, but you but they're also not that far removed from Tommy John surgeries, even with, with Dunning being very successful in his limited time in 2020. Uh, the, the challenges that the Red Sox – I'm not the White Sox. The White Sox have now as a contender as opposed to a team at the end of the rebuild is they need to be looking at less risk uh, now as opposed to at the start where you want risky talent. Now they need – more certainty. Uh, they want to topple the Indians who are going to trade Lindor. They want to topple the w- Twins who have their own questions of rotation depth. So I think that even if you have to overpay for uh, an inning eater, even if I don't necessarily think you might even have to in an offseason such as this, uh, zagging where everyone's zigging might actually be kind of cheaper than some might expect. But you, you, you look at, 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 at someone like, like Mike Miner or – or, or, or I guess I can't call Derek, Garrett Richards, but maybe even Jay Happ or Jake Arrieta on a, a, a one-year type of deal uh, would be helpful at least. It would be helpful. You have a lot of White Sox fans, though, that really want Trevor Bauer to be signed by the White Sox. Well, Bauer would be fun. Yeah, I'm just saying the minimum. I mean, who wouldn't – I mean, maybe someone who's fought with him on Twitter wouldn't want him, but uh, – I, I, I think any team from a baseball standpoint would want Trevor Bauer. If if the White Sox want to go after Trevor Bauer, I am not standing in that way at all. Even if I could, I have I don't have that kind of authority. Uh, if 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 Bauer is an option, I'll say yeah, yeah, thumbs up. I, I think he's a terrific pitcher. Uh, I I I thought he was a good upside had good upside potential in 2020. He, he more than met his expectations. He's the best starter in free agency this year. Uh, if any any team who wants him, I have no complaints. The what brings us back to reality is that it's hard to see Jerry Reinsdorf 
green lighting that type of cash to sign Trevor Bauer. Does Zips have a projection of what's a fair deal for Trevor Bauer? If Zips were to make an offer to Trevor Bauer, does it have that as far as contracted dollar amount? Yeah, it, it I, I, I'm reopening it again because I actually closed it again, but it's going to be a, a pretty tidy sum. Like, are we talking like a Garrett Cole type of deal? Uh, Zips for Bauer is suggesting uh, seven years, 193. So a little less than okay. Cole. That's still a pretty lofty sum. Yeah, but he's also, you know, he's he's he was coming off a Cy Young season. He's going to be 30. He's been healthy, uh, one of the healthier pitchers in baseball. Uh, I think that 2019 was largely a fluke, uh, even if 2018 was a fluke in the other direction. I I think you're going to have to pay for a, a, a pitcher like that because while I think we're going to see a lot of suppressed salaries this offseason – I don't expect it to really be a thing of the top players getting uh, lesser contracts. I think we're just going to see a significantly larger gulf than normal between the elites and free agency and kind of that second, third tier. Now, you mentioned I, what I would consider third tier pitchers in this class, Mike Miner, Jake Arietta, And obviously we talked about Trevor Bauer. And again, Zips is projecting seven years, $190 plus million to get a, a deal done with Bauer. Are there other starting pitchers that you think could be good fits for the White Sox this offseason? Maybe if they're even looking for another starting pitcher on the same performance level as Dallas Keuchel. I, let's see. I guess the, the, the thing is there's not a lot of names like that. It's not a very huge top uh, tier of free agency. Uh, like if you go by Fangraph's War, the – the top five free agent pictures by 2020 war uh, were uh, Bauer, which which isn't expected, Rick Porcello, and Kevin Gosman, who who, <laughs> who accepted the qualifying officer. That's not to say I think the White Sharks should go out and sign Rick Porcello, uh, but there's not a lot of great depth there. Maybe Adam Wainwright uh, for a year. That would be someone then he would – he has history with Tony La Russa. Uh, he wouldn't require a long-term deal. So maybe I'm talking myself into that. Maybe Charlie Morton. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at probably maybe one or two starting pitchers, as you mentioned, on the Gio Gonzalez level. We're talking one year, seven, $8 million contract to help get you through 2021. I, I think more like 10 given that Robbie Ray got eight. Oh, true. Okay. But we're we're looking at short-term deals to help patch the starting rotation and get through 2021 and hoping that Dunning and Kopech can round into form. Yeah, because the thing is, nobody has ever had too much starting – having too much starting pitching has been a problem for approximately zero teams in history. Uh, let's say they enter the season with you know a, a, a rotation of, say, Giolito, Keuchel – uh, Wainwright, Morton, and then sort through C's Dunning, Lopez, Kopech, etc. After that, I don't think anyone could complain if you know both Dunning and Kopech worked out and they had to figure out what to do, uh, because you know they can make trades, they can do a lot of things. Uh, I, I don't think it's an actual problem. The Astros some years ago had that problem when they won the World Series, they had too many starting pitchers. And that did not prevent them from winning the World Series. Uh, they, they used Colin McHugh in the bullpen. Uh, 
I guess not in 2016, but uh, or 2017. But generally speaking, I don't think that's an actual problem for teams to worry about. So I, I would not want to get in the White Sox way because, you know, someone is going to get injured because that's how pictures work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. So on the starting pitching front, we may be looking at a one, two-year type of deal so for White Sox fans, again, obviously Trevor Bauer would be the get. There's just going to be heavy competition, and it's going to be a lot of money, and it's a type of money and years that the White Sox have been afraid uh, to sign free agent starting pitchers uh, to that type of deal. Their own starting pitchers, it's a different story, a different set of rules. That's why I think Lucas Giolito would probably be more likely if the White Sox are going to hand out a $100 million contract than Trevor Bauer. But moving over to the position player front, and I want to start in right field because for the White Sox, obviously December 2nd is coming up. And there are a lot of rumors, Dan, that we are going to see more non-tenders than we have seen in past years from all teams. And one of those non-tender candidates is Nomar Mazzara, a right fielder that they traded for, trading Steel Walker, a former second-round pick, hoping that Mazzara can find a way to outperform his seasons with the Texas Rangers in 2020. Not only did he, he didn't do that. He didn't even meet his Texas Rangers numbers as he only had one home run. And uh, the White Sox are back to the drawing board on trying to address right field. And there are some White Sox fans, Dan, that would stump for Adam Engel because he did perform better in 2020, but let's face it, that is in a small sample size, and we have seen what happens when you give Adam Engel an extended run playing every single day. All of a sudden, teams catch up to his tendencies, and then he gets into a slump, and then it saps all of the plus value that you get from him in defensively. I don't think it's a good idea walking into 2021 with a Nomar Mazzara and Adam Engel platoon and Zips <laughs> Zips is telling me based on the projections that Josh you are right as you're looking at a sub war combination there with Mazzara and Engel in right field. What do you think the White Sox should do to address this right field situation? I do think it's something that they need to resolve in free agency. Uh, while, you know, trying to chase upside from Mazzara was justifiable uh, given the shape of what 2020 looked like a year ago at this time, it's harder to say that now with them in, in contention. They can't really wait around for Mazzara at this point. They essentially waited a year. It didn't work out. And the thing is, I mean, they can't even offer legally Mazzara more than a 20% cut on his salary. Uh, and a 20% cut on his salary still leaves him at like $4.8 million. And if Mazar was a free agent, would you want to sign him for four point eight million? I don't think I would. Uh, at at all, <laughs> I think I'd want maybe one million. Maybe it, it, it's it's a hard sell. Uh, I expect the White Sox to non-tender Mazara, uh, Rodon, uh, uh, Rodon, uh, Lopez. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I expect I expect teams to be aggressive and non-tender. You have Cubs fans today. Uh, who have talked themselves into thinking that the Cubs are going to non-tender Bryant. Uh, so I, I think Bryant's going to get traded by the second. I have a hard time <laughs> believing that they're just going to let Chris Bryant walk without getting anything in return. I, I agree, but also I never expected – I expected Wong – a year ago I would have expected Wong's option to, to have been picked up. I would not have expected Brad Hand – 
if he had been good in 2020 to be placed on waivers and pass through uh, 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 good points waivers. And I think that the fact that people even have a conspiracy theory about the Cubs non-tendering Bryant really says a lot about the situation we're in, uh, that these things that that impossible has become merely implausible. <laughs> the magic of 2020. Uh, I, I think there'll be a lot of non-tenders this, this winter, and I think there's going to be not a lot of money chasing these non-tenders. Uh, though, I think given the choice between the White Sox spending a lot of money on a pitcher and a short-term outfielder versus spending a lot of money on an outfielder and a short-term pitcher, I think given the weakness in right field, I would probably go towards spending more on the outfielder if it's a choice. Uh even even obviously, you know, George Springer wouldn't be as expensive as Trevor Bauer. And if he were, then you'd run away quickly because you don't give George Springer two hundred million dollars or anything. Uh I I feel more confident about the back of the White Sox rotation, you know, Cease and Kopech and Dunning and all of them. I feel more confident with them than I feel about the right field situation, which I don't like at all. And I don't see any obvious in in house candidates to make that a less worrisome scenario. Uh so so I definitely would like to see the White Sox to be aggressive here. I would say a good offseason for them would be getting one of the top outfielders available, uh, getting a year of a good mid-tier veteran starter in the rotation, uh, and picking up an interesting arm or two in the bullpen. Now for the White Sox position players, a popular question that we got from our listeners is how is Zips tackling COVID? And, Poorly. <laughs> well, because I was going to ask you about Yohan Mikata, because in 2020, he had a down year offensively. And when watching him, it was just evident that he had a difficult time recovering from COVID. And he was required to sit out games during the regular season because his body was just not recovering like everybody else's was and definitely wasn't recovering on the Mikata level that we saw in 2019. His power was sapped. His stat cast numbers crashed, especially on the exit velocity front. It's obviously a new development when trying to project 2021 performance, but you're, you're saying that Zips is, you know, poorly projecting <laughs> or adding COVID to the performances what is Zips projecting for Mankata heading to 2021? I mean, Zips didn't really change its trajectory very much from his down season. Uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the difficult thing about COVID is that it, it didn't really you know, affect everybody the same. Uh, because, you know, if, while Mankata struggled, uh, you could look at someone like Freddie Freeman, who had a terrific season. Uh, and he, he, was, he was actually pretty, doing pretty poorly at times with his COVID. So it, it's hard to take this thing into consideration from player to player. And the other issue that comes up is when Zips looks at like Tommy John surgery, it has a long history of, of looking at players with Tommy John surgery and how they recovered and, and things like that. There's no such history like that with COVID. And we hear things uh, about, uh, about, you know, some of the uh, COVID survivors, even the people who came out. Okay. You know, they, they have heart problems or lung problems, and those things can 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 cause, you know, serious issues for a player. Uh, I, I, I don't really know. I think it's a source of error, and I don't think it's something a projection system can really tackle. And if you say that's, that's unsatisfying, I, I agree. It totally is. I wish I had a better answer. It would make my projections better. 
but you know, part of knowing something is knowing what I don't know as much as that pisses me off sometimes. And of course, you know, for White Sox fans looking at position player front, they wanted to see more four-war players for the 50th percentile. Yasmani Grandel's 50th percentile projections. Uh, Grandel's at 3.6. Roberts at 3.3. Makata's at 3.1. That's good. Anderson's at 2.6. Jimenez at 2.5. And Abreu's at 2.0. Again, this is the 50th percentile. There are projections from Zips all the way up to the 90th percentile that has all these players at a shot of four war or better. In the case of Anderson, Robert, and Grandal, they could be five war and better. And then you look at the floor. I always kind of laugh at the floor, the 10 percentile projection, because Yasmani Grandal's floor is 2.3 war, which is still pretty good for a catcher. <laughs> uh, but with Robert... His floor is at one and a half war, and he, he's got a pretty wide range of projected outcomes. And that makes sense. He's going to be entering his second year. We saw what he could do in August, and he was one of the best players in the American League. And then we saw what happened in September where he hit a rookie slump, and he just looked lost for the entire month. How is Zips handling Robert going to 2021, Dan? And is there something from September that rings the alarm from a Zips perspective for Luis Robert? Not really. Uh, I think people tend to overrate the predictive value of like the final season of the of the season or the final month of the season. Uh, I think that it, it it was illustrative in that it you know demonstrated that he's not a completed talent at this point. He's a phenomenally talented player, but he's still rather inexperienced at the major league level. His game still isn't, you know, flawless. There, there's still, you know, flaws in his profile. Uh, and so it's not a certainty that he's going to remain a star. He's, He could be. I know I've described it to him in the past as his upside being Vladimir Guerrero with gold glove defense in center field. But he's not right now Vladimir Guerrero with gold glove defense in center field. He's shown that that's a plausible possibility. But – for any young player, there's still a, a, a wide range of outcomes. Well, we did get some fan questions that I want to touch on real quickly here. One question we got from Craig, and they're asking you, Dan, who is most likely to repeat their 2020 performance according to Zips? A, Jose Abreu, B, Tim Anderson, C, Yoan Makata, or D, Dallas Keuchel? Uh, Tim Anderson, probably. Zips is still trying to figure out the whole batting average on balls in play thing, and it gets a little more convinced about him every year. Uh, but there's something that's been kind of freaky about him and his elite sea ball hit ball abilities. Uh, so I, I I think that he has a pretty good shot at, at you know, stuffing projections in people's faces again. Uh, Keiko, uh, he, it's, it's funny. I mean, he's not a guy who's like a great stuff guy, uh, but you look at his at his uh, his advanced data and he does keep guys from hitting the ball hard. And that's very useful in the park he plays in which is primarily a neutral park except for home runs. Uh, so Keiko's turning out to be a pretty good fit, uh, and Zips likes him plenty uh, uh, for, for 2021. I mean, it still gives him nearly three win wins. Uh, Zips, of course, is, is more skeptical on Abreu, and I know that got some pushback because, you know, he was the MVP, but we're also talking a 60-game M- MVP. Uh, if we talk, you know, 60 games, a lot can happen in 60 games. Uh, if you look at the identical split last year, the last 60 games of last season, Jonathan uh, VR had the same war as Abreu uh, did in his 60 games because Abreu is probably still an average player. Uh, 
uh, having you know a great 60 games, but he also remains a guy who's going to be 34 for the 2020 season or 2021 season. And he was very average in the years before this. And 2018 and 2019 are five times the playing time combined as his 2020 season. Our next question comes from Vark, and Vark's asking about Andrew Vaughn. How do you accurately make projections for a guy like Andrew Vaughn, who appears slated for significant playing time at DH first base for the White Sox in 2021, but who has very little of a minor league track record and probably no meaningful stats from Schaumburg <laughs> in 2020? Yeah, uh, I when I say when I say poorly, I think I mean especially poorly for a situation like Vaughn because. We don't really know all that much about him as a professional talent. Uh, he did well in his brief, you know, cameo in the in, in the in the minors in 2019, but he also didn't hit for much power at that point. Uh, and a first baseman who's slugging under 450 in in A ball, missing a year of competitive play and going right to the majors, I, I have a hard time thinking that that Zips is really that far off with him. I mean, that's not to say he's not a terrific prospect, but I think he's probably going to need to uh, have more time in the minors against learn the the craft uh, more than some other players will, uh, because he didn't torch the minors, say someone like Wander Franco did. Uh, so I don't want to I don't want to make this dismissive of him as a prospect, just dismissive of that he's going to be huge in 2021 at the major league levels, skipping a year of play essentially and half of the minor leagues. And then as in rec is asking, how is zips treating players that opted out like Lorenzo Kane and David price and Michael Kopech due to COVID concerns? Are they, is zips treating like that they were injured or is there some type of other adjustment? Uh, there, there's a missed time, non-injury adjustment, which is much smaller than injuries, but I'm not applying it to 2020 simply because everybody's missing time. Even the guys who played are missing a lot of time. They are all missing out on 100 games of baseball, uh, even like someone who plays every game. So I think it's kind of not applicable this year since everyone's kind of in a similar boat. Uh, they did play in spring training and get training and stuff, so it's not like they were home like me eating Doritos or something, presumably. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess some could. It's not a great conditioning uh, method, as I can tell you. Uh, but... We'll see. Like a lot of the a lot of the assumptions I'm making uh, for the COVID season, I'm I'm, I'm going to have to wait to find out what was a good idea and what was preposterous because I don't know. Well, you could read Dan's 2021 Zips rejections about the Chicago White Sox on Fangraphs.com. He also podcasts now as he's part of the Fangraph Show that you can subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also tell Dan how wrong he is about Mark Burley's Hall of Fame candidacy <laughs> on Twitter at D Zaborski. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah, that 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 was fun. I I was a little my 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 uh, temper was still a little frayed <laughs> because I was out without power for a day. Uh so when people were mad at me, I, I pushed back probably a little too hard than I should have. That was not my, my proudest moment. The, the I guess. only thing I'll have to say is that in my opinion and I know that there's a lot of New York-based <laughs> writers that will disagree with me on this. But I think Burley and Andy Pettit are on the same line. If you're going to put in Andy Pettit, I think then you got to put in Mark Burley. 
And I get that Pettit. Well, see, now we're now we're gonna now we're gonna have to get into this uh, in, in the conclusion. Now, I, well, I I get the, <laughs> I get the postseason performances, but man, it's hard to ignore on how well Burley pitched when he did get into the postseason. And if you want those Hall of Fame moments, I mean, Burley's got both a no hitter and a perfect game. Yeah, but when it comes down to it, the the games did happen. No, uh, I, I Mark- get it. And that, that that's it's a thing you can't get around that that the games did happen, uh, and it's why I would vote for Bob Feller for the Hall of Fame, and I wouldn't vote for Mark Pryor for the Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, on a on a fundamental level, it's not fair that Burley's teammates sucked, especially in the years <laughs> after, or especially in the years before he could choose to move to a different team in free agency. That's not fair. But you know, it's also not fair to some guys who didn't get a chance in the minors for years. Like Edgar Martinez at the start of his career, it's not fair to guys who uh, who get injured in before they're 25, blow out their elbow or shoulder, and never pitch well again. It, that's not fair either. But there's a fundamental lack of unfairness in the universe. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I think on some level, at the end of the day, we still have to evaluate the the players based on the 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 games that actually happened. And for whatever reason of luck, Pettit got to pitch more in high leverage games than Burley did. And he, he pitched well in those games. And it's just enough to edge him past Burley for me. I'm going to table this. We'll have this conversation <laughs> in five years because I, I have a feeling Burley's case is going to maybe get the Tim Raines, Larry Walker treatment that the more that people look at his career, the more they're going to convince themselves. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to. Give him one of my 10 Hall of Fame votes and see if the percentages rise over the years. I I think he's a fringe candidate. I think it's going to take a while, Dan, but I will die on that hill. I think Mark Burley should get into the Hall of Fame. Again, you're going to need to weed out some of the uh, big-time Hall of Fame candidates like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds <laughs> and Manny Ramirez and... Yeah, there's there's some pretty big names that need to get weeded out first before Burley gets that chance. But all I'm saying is I don't think there's that big of a difference between Andy Pettit and Mark Burley's careers. Well, it's not massive. I'm probably closer to voting for Burley than pretty much any other baseball writer, I think. Uh, I don't actually have my vote yet because I, I didn't get in until 2016. Uh, so I have five more years to go until I can vote. Uh, so maybe... If they're both still on the ballot and haven't gotten fallen off or gotten inducted, maybe I'll have to actually make this decision. But I don't have to yet. Uh, I mean, I'd vote Kurt Schilling for the Hall of Fame just because based on my personal ethics of the Hall. I But I'm not shedding tears about not having to. I don't have to actually vote for him this year. So I'm not I'm not shedding tears about that since I'm a non-voter. How much longer do you have? I have, well... I have five more years. Five more years. All right. Well, yeah, again, I could, I could vote for the 2026 Hall of Fame class, which is voted on in late 2025. Okay. So, so hopefully I'm alive and employed and baseball still exists. <laughs> yes. So, so we'll I'm, see. I'm halfway there. I'm putting a pin in this conversation. So Sox Machine listeners, November 2025, Dan and I are going to have this conversation again. And I'm going to try to convince him to vote for Mark Burley for the Hall of Fame. You know what I'll do? I'll put, I'll make a, I'll make a tweet 
I've been having this uh, – uh, sometimes I'm doing this game where I will schedule a tweet for five years from now. Yes. Because okay. you could do that on, on TweetDeck. Yep. So once we get to like 2023, there will be a few random tweets for me, <laughs> uh, for, for me about things that happened in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I like to be weird. I don't know why I, I'm compelled to do these things. But I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually adding you. So don't, don't change, don't change your handle. All right. I don't know how it's like that. I'm doing at Sox Machine Josh. We have to talk about <laughs> about Mark Burley and his Hall of Fame chances in your next podcast. Yes. And now I'm scheduling this tweet. Okay, it's November eighteenth, two thousand twenty. Let's scroll forward. I'm at twenty three. 24, 25 to November, November 18th, or I can only, I had to do it. It's 2000 at the, on the 17th. That's fine. It, okay. Just want to make sure that's okay. Okay. Well, as long as I'm alive and my computer's on in five years or I'm dead and my computer's on for some reason, uh, you'll get a reminder. All right, excellent. So there you go, folks. Something to look forward to five years down the road. But Dan, as always, thank you so much for joining the show and to share your insight on the 2021 Zips projections for the White Sox. Thanks for having me on, as always. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. And you can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Help support Socks Machine on Patreon, where you get extra content with each podcast and writings as well. For example, our Patreon supporters got the chance to ask Dan questions on this episode. So if you enjoy our work and want more content, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine to sign up today. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.